I'm going to begin a series for the next six weeks. And uh, uh, I know probably tonight's not the best night to, to begin this series on because um, we've got so many people in the other buildings, all the parents um, of teenagers are in the other building, all the uh, ministry for the children last night. And so um, I've had a lot of people ask if we're going to record these, and we're, I'm going to record these and uh, make them available on podcast. And, and um, so if you miss one of these weeks, but I, I want you to do your best if you could to be here. I'm going to look at things that um, just in life that just can overwhelm us. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed in life? Everybody. I was, I was um, uh, several years ago, I, I was on staff at a church in Cincinnati, and we had a gator. How many of you know what a gator is? Not an alligator, but a gator, like a four-wheel. It's like a utility thing. We had 70 acres there, and, and about 10 of those acres or so were, were um, uh, four-wheel or, you know, that you go back in a four-wheeler. And so I thought it would be fun to take this gator that's not made, it's got four wheels, but it's not a four-wheeler. And, and I took with me this fella that was um, about as round as me, but about this short, and he had Down syndrome, and, and um, he wanted to go back in the woods with me. And so I was dressed like this. I had, I had dress shoes on, dress slacks, a shirt, and we went off into this, in the woods with a gator, just him and I. And we... We're having a good time. He was laughing, and all of a sudden, we went through uh, this big mud, and we didn't get out of it. And we were there in the middle going back and forth, trying to go back and forth. I was just spinning these wheels, and I looked at him. He looked at me, and I said, you got to push. And he said, no. I said, no, you can't drive. You don't have your license. You can't you can't get behind this wheel. He said, you can't drive either. That's why we're in this mess, he tells me. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like in the woods. If I yelled, nobody would hear me. And so finally, I'm like, all right, Paul, you sit here. You push this with your foot. And I got out. I'm, now I'm in the mud. I mean, my shoes are ruined, my pants, everything. I'm in the mud up to probably mid-shin there. And now, Paul, go. And I push. And what does he do? And then the rest of the mud all over. I mean, I'm, it's bad. And so we got out. I pushed. I was anxious. I was upset. He's laughing. He's clean. We go riding back to where everybody is on the property, and I'm, I'm a mess, and he thinks it's fun. And I'm like, it stinks to be stuck. And sometimes trying to get out of being stuff, stuck, you get messy. And I really experienced that, that, that day and um, never forget that. I'm going to speak on six topics today. Tonight I'm going to preach on this topic of depression. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have ever been depressed. Uh, we're going to decide that tonight. Go put that picture back up, if you would, please. You're, you're going to know, and I hope tonight someone doesn't say, boy, I was glad when I came in. I'm depressed leaving. That's not the goal of this evening. I want to identify it, and then I want to help us with this, with this subject matter. This is a, 
How many of you would say that is a good-looking family? How many of you would agree with that? Husband, wife, three children, uh, beautiful children, beautiful family. Um, that is Andrew. And Andrew pastors a church, a great big church, a growing church. And, and he's the lead pastor there at that church. And he um, um, uh, stepped out of that role for a period of time because he battled with depression and discouragement. And, and, and his wife went on this journey with him and his children and his church. And, and about two or three weeks or so ago, um, uh, he got back into the position of lead pastor at this church, and the church was excited to have him, and the church was, was looking forward to now what the Lord's going to do in the next um, season ministry. Friday, Andrew took his life. Andrew battled with depression. And depression now has touched this family as of Friday and touched this church and touched these children and touched this this beautiful wife of his. And he just got to the place where he just couldn't take the, the pressures. And now, instead of excited about him coming back into the, the lead role pastor of his church, the church and his wife is planning a funeral this week. It's a true story. We hear of, we hear of stories, but we put faces sometimes. I think it settles in even more that this is real. I have put several messages out on Facebook um, asking people to come. There's a fellow uh, pastor. Um, I won't mention his name um, because he probably listened to this podcast. But he texted me this morning. He said, um, I was watching your video just now for Wednesday night, August. He said, Friday morning, I go to counseling for anger and depression. I resigned August 19th, after two years of frustration and poor leadership communicating vision at my church. We're moving local, working construction. God is watching out for us in now averted disaster. Thanks for being my friend. And that was early this morning. He sent me that, that text. Five children. He's probably as old as Andrew is maybe a little bit younger. I see that and I think here's a a wife and here's five kids that go on this journey. The reality is this, nobody goes through depression, nobody goes through discouragement alone. Even though you feel alone, you you never go through it alone. It affects so many people. I, um, I would never do this, I'd never show you this, but if I showed you my phone, if I showed you the messages, if I showed you uh, the things that I hear and see and deal with and not even hear the Lord has allowed me to, to be a friend to a lot, of, a lot of pastors around this country and on a weekly basis, most of the time, a couple times a week, I communicate with a pastor that's depressed, discouraged. Wanting to know, what do I do? I'm in a place, and I'm supposed to have vision. I'm supposed to make sense out of things. I'm supposed to lead, and I have no idea what I'm doing right now. I'm depressed. I want us to um, turn, with, turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Kings. I, I began this, 
I, I introduced this series, I should say, uh, Sunday night in church, and I'm not going to take, and I'm not going to go through all of the, um, I'm not going to pre- re-preach my message from, you, you can take this picture down now, Slim, thank you. I'm not going to re-preach my message from Sunday evening, um, but we went to First Kings and we read the story of First Kings, and and we find in the first, um, find your place there, and then give give me your attention. I, I ask that you do this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hu- use humor. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna talk with you, especially these next six weeks. They're 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 serious, and I want to I want to take them very serious. And I don't want to make light of anything that we're gonna speak about tonight or the next five evenings because they're heavy. They're important things to speak about, and, and this is my concern, is what we're going to talk about, most of the time, we don't talk about in church. And, and, and especially this discouragement or depression, we don't talk about it because it's kind of like taboo. It's kind of, um, if you were just spiritual, you wouldn't feel this way. And that's not true. It's not true. I want you to. I want you to think about. If you're taking notes, I'm going to try to stay. Uh, stay with me. I'm going to try to um, put these notes out um, ahead of time. Uh, I had some struggles yesterday that wasn't. I wasn't able to do this to get these to you. Um, but but I want to. I want you to understand it. And I, how many of you would agree? How many of you have ever been downcast? And what I mean by that is you've had a bad day. How many of you have ever had a bad day? David said, I'm downcast. That's just a bad day. I, like, I woke up today, and the situations today hit me, but don't worry, tomorrow's a new day. How many of you in your bad day said, but don't worry, tomorrow is a new day? Anybody ever say that? Tomorrow's a new day. Like, the sun's going to come up, and, and that is going to be yesterday's problem. You, you're downcast. It's just, it's, it, it happens to everybody. If you didn't raise your hand, you just didn't hear me, or you're just not being honest. Everybody has a downcast day. But if we're not careful, what happens is if we don't deal with that downcast day and we let that bad day lead into the next day, what happens if we're not careful, we go from being downcast to discouragement. Have you ever been discouraged? Discouragement is this. Discouragement isn't a bad day. Discouragement now is a, it's a, it's a little season. It, it, it's more than just a day. It's a, it's a, it's a short season. And, and, and you just can't seem to shake this. Like, you're, you're, you're not like tomorrow's a new day. You're kind of thinking, oh, man, this, all right, this is, is, this is kind of changing me, impacting me, affecting the way I think. I'm, I'm discouraged. Um, I know that I'm going to get victory over this, but it's just not going to be the sun comes up tomorrow, it's a new day, and I get over it. I'm discouraged. And it, when you don't deal with discouragement, what, what you'll lead to is depression. Depression, extended period of time. Depression is, this is not a, it isn't if I can just get tonight, get some sleep, get up tomorrow, the sun comes up, and I'm, I was just downhearted. I, I just had a bad day. It isn't, um, well, it's just a season. I'm going to get through it. It's, 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 I can't shake it, but, but I know that there's going to be victory. De- depression is when you come to the place where you, you, you are saying, I don't know if I can get through this. I, I'm, I, I think I'm at a place where this is, it's become an extended period of time. Matter of fact, I don't remember life without feeling this way. 
is it ever going to get better? And then when you don't deal with depression, the next step is despair. And so down, downcast, or things are bad right now. Discouragement, or things have been bad for a while. Depression is everything's bad all the time. It's never going to get better. And despair is it will never be any different. Nothing ever is going to change. I'm in despair. And despair leads people to desperation. Now hear me please on this. I'm, 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 I'm going to be very sensitive about this. But normally, Andrew had a bad day, and it was a season, it was discouragement, it was depression, but then it leads to despair. And what, what, what Andrew did is Andrew got to the place in his mind and his heart where he, he, it led him to desperation. This is my only way out. I have another pastor friend of mine that um, uh, pastored a church in Ontario, uh, in Canada, Ontario, Canada, a great church. One of the largest churches in, in, in Canada. And his son tried to call him um, and, and, and at the office, and they said, he's not here, he hadn't come in today. And he said, that's odd, my dad's always on time. And, and, and I mean, this guy was sharp. And, and, he, and he went home to his dad's house. His son was older, he came to his dad's house, and he opened up the garage, and, and there in his dad's garage, there his dad was in his car. He started the car, pastoring a, a, a church, and... Canada started the car and took a hose from his exhaust pipe and ran it into his car and rolled the window up as far as he could and just went into sleep. And that's where they found him. He got to the place of despair. I have a, one of my best friends in ministry, pastors a church in, in Virginia. Her dad bought a, bought a, a gas generator that morning, that later that morning, 10 o'clock or so, put that gas generator in his cargo van and filled it with gas, started it, rolled his windows up and went to sleep. Michelle and I, just a little bit ago, not long ago, drove across Ohio and Indiana and got up early and went to this funeral of a, she's going to come visit us in, um, October, and just to try to minister to her. How do you, there's no closure there. And listen to me, you, you can say, oh, how selfish and how this or how that. When you get to the place of despair, you've convinced yourself that there is no way out. You convince yourself nothing's going to change. And you've really convinced yourself this, that my family and my friends and all those that know me are better off with me here in this gone. And there are some, now I want to, I want to be very clear, there are some that it's clinical depression, and, and I'm not a doctor, and I believe this, like any other medical issue, should be treated by a doctor, and there are clinical depression that has to be treated by medication. Has to be. You can try your, your hardest not to deal with that, but you, you have to be treated by medication. But I also believe this, there is spiritual depression, and that is God allows us to go through some things, and we, we get to a place 
of discouragement or depression. We come to a place of despair, and this is a spiritual attack. This is satanic attack. I am not, I, I in no way can speak to you on chemical um, uh, um, and some disagree with me, and, and, and I have pastors that disagree that they think there's no such thing as clinical depression. It's all, it all can be helped, and, and, and uh, I won't argue that. If you think differently than that, that's okay. I don't want to make this the source of contention. Um, I've just dealt with enough people to know getting medical help is what's necessary. There are some, though, that deal with with spiritual depression, and that tonight I want to speak to you about. Um, much of depression, a lot of depression, um, uh, is spiritual, and not all of it. Um, uh, and what we need to understand is this: some, if it is a spiritual depression, that's what I want to speak about tonight. Not we 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 come to a place where we think this: I can't control any of it, and so my life is spiraling out of control, but we need to realize this. We can control some of it, and what we can control, we need help from the Holy Spirit of God to help us um, to to control and make good decisions when we're in this time of of depression, discouragement, despair. And let's consider the, the, the part that we can control, and that's what I want to talk about this evening. Let's talk about the stuff that we can control, the the the, the spiritual side of it, where we can find help from God. Let's talk about that this evening. Um, it, it's really important, though, and I, and I say this again very, very um, uh, delicately, it's very important that we don't judge people. I, I, I've, I've been in church my entire life. I, I don't know life outside of church. And I've been in ministry now 20 years. And I know this, and trust me with this, and this is why some people make decisions Andrew made and other people have made these decisions, I I tell you, because people feel like the place they should come and find help, they feel like they can't come and find help because they're going to be judged. And and, and listen to me, church, we, we need to make sure that we're not a church that judges people because you've never walked in their shoes. And, 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 and our, our opinion doesn't really matter and so sometimes we need to stop giving it because our opinions sometimes hurt people. You would be so surprised how many people I speak with, I'm counseling, and, and what they'll say to me is, I talked to a friend and they said this, and boy, it just I, it really upset me, and I, I want to call that friend and say, I want to say, shut up, but that's not a nice word. I want to say, stop. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't judge. The worst thing you can say to somebody that's depressed or discouraged is just get over it. Just read your Bible. If you just read your Bible, all your problems will go away. I'm all about reading our Bible. And every year I want, I change how I read and how much I read. And I'm always, if I can read more, I'm going to read more. But when it comes to discouragement, that's not the only answer that's going to fix everybody's problem. Just pray more. Obviously, there's something wrong with your prayer life if you're discouraged. I want to say to those people, obviously, you don't know what you're talking about. Because there are some people that are prayer warriors that battle depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, this prince of preachers, preached to 10,000 people in the Spurgeon Tabernacle in England 
for most of his ministry, you know what he battled with most of his ministry? Depression. He'd have to leave England and go over to France. He had a little, he had a little garden in France. And, and here, think about this. This pastor that's pastoring 10,000 people, preaching to 10,000 people on a weekly basis, uh, leaves and goes to France and, and just kind of piddles in his garden to try to get his mind back to where it needs to be. Most God battled discouragement and battled depression. If I had the time, I'd love to go through that with you. So it's really important we don't judge others that are going through depression. Depression would be this. Let me give you a definition of depression. Um, depression would be a temporary emotional state. And I like that word temporary. Now, when you're in it, you don't feel like it's temporary. But the reality is this. Depression is a temporary emotional state characterized by exaggerated feelings of sadness, of hopelessness, that are not consistent with reality. To you, it's real. Listen to me, it's temporary. Depression is when you've come to the place in your life where you you, you feel like I'm in an emotional state and you have exaggerated everything of it's sadder than it really is, it's hopeless than it really is, and you're in this constant state where to you, it's real. That's why it's so important that you don't tell someone, just get over it. Or, or you know, it's not real. Then tell somebody that's feeling that it's not real. Tell somebody that's feeling helpless and hopeless, it's not real. Tell somebody that that's going through that, and they won't understand you because you're not understanding what depression is. And so we find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 17. Ian, everybody with me? We good? Just one yep. Talk back to me. Everybody with me? Okay, good. Elijah, um, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, verse number one, who's Ahab? King. Two tribes, right? Or, 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 or two kingdoms now. Israel is divided, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel has now come into the time, it's the worst um, uh, time in Israel's history when Ahab becomes king. He's wicked. He's wicked. Everything that is right, he on purpose is doing wrong. He's trying to get Israel to revolt against God. And so Elijah um, uh, says unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I'm, I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of God came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so let me real quick, this is exactly what happened. God says to Elijah, I want you to go to this wicked king Ahab and I want you to tell Ahab there's going to be no rain for three years. And so Elijah says exactly what God tells him to say to Ahab. And then God says to Elijah, but I'm going to take care of you. I want you to go, and you're going to go by this brook, Cherith, and, and, and you're going to stay there for three years, and, and, and there's going to be water. 
uh, from this brook you're going to drink from, and I'm going to give you room service twice a day. While, while there's a famine going on in Israel, this bird, I don't know how good you would like the bird dropping flesh from his mouth, but I guess if you're hungry, you're going to eat it. And, 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 and everybody else is going without food, and this bird, this raven, delivers food to your house twice a day. Meals on wheels, or meals on wings. Um, twice a day, you're going to eat. How many of you would say that would be something wonderful to experience? God's provision. Forget the raven. You girls are like, what? The, the raven, forget that, but the meals, the provision. He is seeing God's provision for three straight years. Food every day. I, I, this is where Elijah finds himself. And look with me in verse number, chapter number 18. Flip over. For the sake of time, we're not going to read all of eight, uh, 17. We're going to come to 18. And it came to pass in verse number 1. After many days that the word of the Lord came into Elijah in the third year. So three years later, we just fast forwarded. Three years later, he says, I want you to go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in, in Israel. And so three years later, God says, okay, it's time. I want you to go tell him that it's going to rain. And so this is what happens. There is a man by the name of Ahab, and he met a woman and married a woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel, what does that word mean to you? When you hear the word Jezebel, what's it do to you? Jezebel. Jezebel was so bad, she made Ahab, who was wicked, look like Mr. Rogers. That's how bad Jezebel was. Jezebel was an evil, wicked queen. And Jezebel says, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to, I am going to have all of my prophets of Baal. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us there's 450 prophets of Baal. And these 450 prophets of Baal, they're going to go against Elijah. And we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a bake off. And so what they did is they took two, two, uh, two uh, uh, animals and they cut this one up and the 450 prophets of Baal uh, put them on an altar and, and, uh, of wood and, and Elijah said, but you can't have fire. And they said, now you call upon your gods and let your gods bring down fire. And they called all morning long, all afternoon long and, and nothing happened. Baal couldn't get them out of it. They started cutting themselves and dancing on top of this altar and guess what? Nothing. Here we find um, Elijah, who probably is, for the last three years, he fed me every day, twice a day. This one's easy. He says, I want you to do this. Cut mine up. Put mine on an altar. And he says, matter of fact, take, and, uh, and by the time it was done, he's mocking them. He says, put 12 barrels of water on my sacrifice. Dig a trench, and the water filled the trench, and the water, the sacrifice was soaked. The Bible says the wood was soaked. He called down God. He said, oh, God of heaven, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God of, of these, you, the creator of this universe, would you bring fire upon this altar? And guess what God did? He consumed that altar, the Bible says. And, and, and not only did the uh, sacrifice burn up, all the water, it was so hot, so much fire, all the water evaporated. Twelve barrels of water gone. How many of you would say this? I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm feeling good. He feeds me. Fire comes down. Then what happens is this. He he has this battle, and he kills the 450 prophets of Baal. They're gone. One man 
450 prophets of Baal. I mean, God is good. Feeds me fire, gives me strength. The prophets are, are killed and, and, and what a wonderful, wonderful thing this is. And, and then Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Look with me in chapter 19. With all he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also. When I read that, I think to myself, so let the gods do to you. The, the gods that couldn't start a fire? I mean, are those the gods you're talking about? And she, yeah, let them do to me. If I make not thy life as a life of one of them by tomorrow at this time, what Jezebel just said was, 24 hours, you're a dead man. I'm going to do to you exactly what you did to these 450 prophets. And Elijah runs. He leaves. He, the Bible says, but he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness, verse number four. Uh, look with me at verse three. And he saw that he arose, he arose, he went for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. He left his servant there. And then the Bible says he went out a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. He's in despair. He comes to a place in his life that he is, he is in despair. Beersheba, he was in the, the highest place you could get in, in, in Israel. He runs down at the lowest place you can get in Judah and still be in, in Israel. He runs down as low as he can before going into Egypt. And he gets to Beersheba. Beersheba is a place of, of an oasis. Beersheba is a place of plenteous water, palm trees. And that's not where he wants to be. The Bible says he goes and he takes a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, stay with me now. I'm going to get into some things here. I needed to set that stage. Because I want you to understand the timing of depression. Many times in our life, after intense ministry or family output, intense ministry or family output, we find ourselves in a place of depression. He's been giving and giving and giving and giving. He's been going and going and going and going. He's been producing. He's been doing all that he's supposed to do. And he finds himself now at a place of depression and discouragement. Listen, when you're pouring yourself out to serve the Lord, when, you, when you're pouring yourself out to serve your family, when you, you come to the place you're exhausted, you've exhausted yourself in a way that makes physical labor feel like a vacation. When you come to that place where you're so exhausted, you come to a place of a spiritual battle that's going on. And if you're not careful, you're, you can lead yourself into a place of discouragement and depression. That's what Elijah did. He's just intense output. Listen, you are not made to go and go and go and go and go without rest. We've we've messed this up in our life. You know what God's plan was? To to rest on the 70th 70th year. God had this plan in place that went all the way down to even the week. I don't spend a week without refueling. 
And we have gone, in some cases, we have gone to a place of intense output and ministry. We've gone to an intense output in, in life. And a lot of pastors get to this place where they are just ready to, to call it quits because they've come to a place where they run and run and run and run and run and run and run. And they think this, well, I have to because the church depends. Well, you know what I've come to understand? If I don't find my rest, then you won't have me as your pastor. And listen to me, if you husbands don't find your rest, your families won't have you as a father and your wives won't have you as a husband. And ladies, listen to me, you can't just go day in and day out with just continuing to pour out, intense pouring out, and never ever rest. Or your families won't have you. There is a breaking point that comes. There's also number two, not only just after intense ministry output, also un- understanding the timing of depression, it also comes after relational conflict. How many of you would say Elijah had a relational conflict with Ahab? <laughs> it's not raining for three years. How many of you would say killing 450 men, that's relational conflict? Depression comes in many of our lives after relational conflict. What do we do now? Well, there's no hope. Leads to despair. Number three, depression comes after physical exhaustion. I pastored a family in Georgia. I got a phone call. He's in tears. He was a lawyer, and he was in Illinois, Chicago area. We were in Columbus, Georgia, and he called me early in the morning. He said, Pastor, I need you to get to the hospital. I said, what's wrong? He said, it's my wife. I said, what's wrong? He said, "Um, she was home with my two boys, and she took my gun. She thought that there was somebody looking in the windows and she's hiding in the closet with my gun. And I said, is there anybody looking in the windows? And he said, no. He said, I called the police and the police went and there was nobody looking. She, she snapped, snapped. And I, he's wherever from Chicago to Columbus, Georgia away. And he can't get there. And he says, you need to get to the hospital. I need, I get to the hospital and I walk into this room and I'm expecting to see this woman of, with three children, three boys, I believe it was, and this, I mean, this, this, this amazing family. And I walk in the hospital, the emergency room, and they let me in and, and I say, I'm her pastor. I walk in and I say her name and she looks at me and I say, she's not there. I said, what are you doing here? She says, could you do me a favor? Could you, and begin to just talk gibberish. I said her name, and I said, what happened? And she said, well, I, and she started talking about bathing in apple cider vinegar. And I said, what? I mean, nothing she said makes sense. She snapped. And I said, what is going on? And we found out she just had a newborn, and she went for weeks without sleeping. Physical exhaustion. Listen to me, men. There's a lot of babies being born in this church, maybe not to all the men here, but you need to realize something. You need to help your wives. 
God didn't make us to come home and sleep on the ca- or sit on the couch the rest of the evenings. That's the wife's job. I realized this very, very early in my marriage. When my wife with children, and as you added the children, she had a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week job, never, never, never on a break. I'd work and come home. I need my break. Come on, let me, give me some time. And, and when's my time? And, and, and then it's easy. Wake up with the kids. I got I to gotta work in the morning. You're not doing anything in the morning, you know, like she's not doing anything. And the reality is this, they don't get sleep. And when you get to the place of physical exhaustion, depression, Number four, after a major victory, listen to me, this is real. After a major victory, sometimes after the victories that we thought we wanted, when it actually happens, the thrill of it's over, the excitement of it's over, and now we say what's left. When it actually happens, I always wanted this job, and I got this job, and now it's over, and what next? And promotion, I've been living for this promotion. I've been living for this house. I've been living for this marriage. I've been living for these children, and and, and I get the victory, and what a wonderful victory it was, but on the other side of it now, it's like, what now? I, you look at most athletes, most, most athletes wonder why they seem so empty when the trophy that they worked their entire life for is sitting on the shelf. They're empty. How many athletes, after they won their first trophy, said, okay, that's it. That's all I wanted. How, no, they won another one. And they won another one, and they won another one, and they won another one. Because having the trophy that they thought they needed, and it's on the shelf, it's done. The victory's there, but why am I so discouraged today? The student that, that wonders why they feel so unfulfilled. I've worked all of my, my student career to get this diploma, this degree. Why am I so empty while I'm holding this diploma in my hand? The mother that wonders why they can't sleep and the tears are there in her eyes as she has a healthy baby sleeping in the nursery, but she wonders, I thought once I had a child that it, the great victory, but why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? We get up for the challenge, and then the victory is there. And then when the victory is there, we become vulnerable on the other side of it. It happens to all of us. Number five, we become depressed after huge disappointments in our life. And that's what happened. We see this as well. We see all of these things with Elijah. He just ended 450 people's lives, and one woman made him in fear. And he runs in 1 Kings 19, 2 and 3. How do you get depressed? This is how you get, the, the, those identify, these are what happens. How, how did I get here depressed? This is, this is what I want you to look at. Please and understand me here tonight. How do I get here? How do I find my place from this, this downcast to discouragement to depression to despair? Number one is this, you find a place all by yourself. Depressed people want to be alone. Getting by yourself is the worst thing a discouraged person can do, but it's the only thing they want to do most. It's true. When you're discouraged, you want to be alone. And it's not good. But that's all you want to do. How do I get here? I find myself alone. What do we, what do we find? That, again, it's for sake of time, we find this, that uh, he says, I'm, I, with his servant, I'm leaving, and his servant travels to Beersheba with him, and he says no to his servant, no, you stay here, I'm going to the wilderness alone. And the servant says, but I'm supposed to minister to you. And he says, no, I want you to stay here, I'm going to go be alone. And the servant says, but, but I, that's what my job is. And he says, no, you stay right here. And he walks a day's journey. What is he going to find in the wilderness? Nothing. 
He wants to be alone. A discouraged person does what the worst thing is that you can do, and that is to be alone. Um, How do I know if I'm there? Let me give you some thoughts here. How do I know if I'm there? Do you have less personal friends than you did a year ago? Do you have less personal friends in your life than you did a year ago? If you do, you're in a bad place. Does it make you angry when the phone rings, even if it is a friend for you? I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk to this person. I know they love me, but oh, I'm not gonna, I don't want to deal with them right now. You avoid people. Are you spending less place away from your family and friends? Uh, you, you find yourself retreating to the basement because there's nobody there. You find yourself retreating to the garage because there's no one there. You, your goal is to get away from everybody. Because when you're discouraged, you want to be alone. But you wanting to be alone is the worst thing for you, and you want to do it the most. That's what you want to do the most. I'm discouraged. I need to get alone. It's not healthy. Are you skipping church and avoiding other Christians altogether? If you say yes to any of these things while you're going through discouragement, you're on a path to depression. Number five, to ask yourself this question, is your worst nightmare being asked, how are you doing? Because when you're depressed and discouraged, you don't want anybody asking you. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Someone says, how do you know what you're talking about? I spent eight months of my life here. You say, well, that would have been good to know, you know, before we asked you to be our pastor. You, you know why people don't say that? Because they judge you. Well, you're, you're, you're not, you're not, you can't handle pressure then if you're depressed. I remember sitting at a Bob Evans in, in, off the highway and sitting with a mentor of mine that would, that a pastor that would, Traveled quite a bit, and every time he'd come through Cincinnati, he'd call me and say, you need to talk? And I'd say, I need to talk. I remember sitting at Bob Evans and just pouring my heart out in tears. People around probably thought I was crazy. You know what I did not want anybody ever to ask me? How are you doing? When you get to the place where your worst nightmare is, people are going to ask me, how am I doing? And, and, and listen, the other, the other so we, we say those are five questions that you ask yourself when I want to be alone. The second thing is you focus on the negative. Here, what we find is in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 10, we find, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left, and they seek my life, and they take it away. You know what happens when you go from uh, uh, discouragement to depression? You only look at the negative. And this is what you end up doing. You end up looking at life through the like this. Oh my, there's a dirt, my whole carpet is dirty. Look, right there, there's, there's a stain on the carpet. The whole carpet's bad. Because all you see is, 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 is right there. And everyone else is looking think, no, everything looks really good. What are you concentrating on? And you're like, it's right there, look. And you're see, you can only see through this. You don't see the big picture. You just see... And everything is negative. 
That's, that's what, that's what he, God just fed you for three years, and, and, and God just got, brought fire down from heaven, and, and, and God just gave you the strength to kill 450 prophets. Oh my, I'm all alone, and, and woe is me, and that's where we get to. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. I don't deserve what I'm going through. You only focus on the negative. Number three is you focus, you forget to focus on God's provisions for you. You know, we find God supplies in in God supplies. And when when you're battling this spiritual depression, you forget how well the Lord is taking care of you. And to others, it almost looks like you're complaining. Woe is me. And to someone looking in, you, they think, boy, they're just complaining. No, this is a path that spiritual depression takes us to. Why am I bringing this out? Because I want you to identify if that's where you're at. That's what's going on. Because a lot of people think that I'm just going crazy. I don't know what's going on in my life. You forget God's provisions for you. And let me just give you these five things quickly in closing. What do I do? This is, these are the, for spiritual depression, these are the five things that you, you have to get to the place that you're allowing to happen in your life. You let God comfort you. You let God comfort you. You let him in. You let him speak to you. You let God comfort you because when you're in these times of, of depression and discouragement, Nobody else is going to bring anything to you to help you. But God can. And you've got to.